الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا كتب عليكم الصيام كما كتب على الذين من قبلكم لعلكم تتكون صدق الله العلي العظيم my dear respected, most honorable elders, beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. First of all, we humbly begin by thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling us with this unique, wonderful opportunity to congregate in His house in the best of, of days and certainly what is the best of months to worship him, to glorify him, and to send salutations upon his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa And we pray that Allah azza wa will continue to facilitate such opportunities for us in the future. We're extremely fortunate to be in the position that we're in today. It's the month of Ramadan, we're safe, we're secure. There's nobody out to hurt us or harm us in any way. And in comfort, we're able to practice our religion freely and openly. There are many of our Muslim brothers and sisters across the world who don't have, who cannot afford this luxury. Many Muslim brothers and sisters who cannot afford the luxury of having different, wonderful, exotic foods for iftar and suhoor. And it's imperative that in this month, the month of mercy, in the first 10 days of mercy, it's important that we remember those people. We remember those people, we seek to support those individuals. We, make, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help those individuals. That human compassion, it should shine through in the month of Ramadan. The Prophet sallallahu would, and the companions too, they would prefer others over themselves. They would give preference of others over themselves, even though they themselves were at a loss, the Quran states. They had nothing to give, yet they would prefer others over themselves. They had nothing to eat, yet if, they had, if something came their way and they found somebody else was hungry too, they would give that food to them. And it's that selfless nature which should shine through within this month. I find somewhat that the opposite tends to take place. We become more selfish in the month of Ramadan. It's more about me and me and look how I'm feeling and look how I'm doing. How am I going to get through this? Constantly complaining. You see, this is, this is why in, in, in Islam, there's, a Western, there's this Western concept of freedom of the self. There's an individualist concept, which is, which is given uh, a lot of uh, um, media coverage, and people are often att uh, attracted by this idea of freedom of the self. Um, insan is free, an individual to do whatever he or she wants. In Islam, however, it's different. The Prophet ﷺ didn't encourage freedom of the self. He encouraged freedom from the self. Freedom from the nafs to be liberated from the chains 
that your own desires and your own nafs puts upon you. Because our nafs is something, Ammaratun Bisu, is constantly driving us towards evil, constantly driving us towards immorality, towards wrong. And this is one of the great challenges. And it holds us back from doing the good deeds that we can do. And Ramadan, it breaks those chains. Fasting breaks that chain. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said, fasting is a shield. It protects you. How does it protect you? In a state of fasting, it's not just about a person staying away from food and water and conjugal relations in the month of Ramadan or during the uh, timing of the fast. It's so much more than that. This is why the Prophet ﷺ said that there will be individuals and he described them as bankrupt individuals. There's one hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said to his companions, muflis? Do you know who the muflis is? And the muflis is a person who's described as bankrupt, who has nothing, penniless. And they said, of course, Ya Rasulullah. They said, Al-Muflis fina man la dirham wala mata'a. That a muflis, a bankrupt individual, is an individual who has neither a dirham, nor does he have any property. He doesn't have anything to call his own. He's completely destitute. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, no. Inna al-muflis min ummati ya'ati yawm al-qiyamati bi salatin wa siyamin wa zakah. That a, a muflis is a person, the bankrupt one is the one who will come on Yomul Qiyamah. And he'll have a lot of salah. He'll have a lot of zakah. He'll have a lot of fasting. He'll have all of these good deeds that he's performed. And the good deeds that he's accumulated throughout his entire life that he's going to be pleased with himself. He's going to be saying, yes, I got this down. Here are all of my good deeds, my massive mountainous pile of good deeds. I'm surely going to be heavy on the scale in terms of the good deeds. And I'm going into, and of course, you know, that, that's the only scale that we have to worry about. Which one's, going to be way, which one's going to weigh heavier, the bad or the good? And he's going to be confident that his good is going to weigh heavier on that day. Atadruna al-Muflis, the Prophet said. Do you know who the Muflis is? The bankrupt person? And they thought, of course, like me and you would think, that the bankrupt is surely that individual who doesn't have, he, who has neither uh, a dirham or dinar, he doesn't have any property, he doesn't have any monetary wealth, he doesn't have any finances, his bank account is empty. The Prophet ﷺ said, no. The bankrupt person is that individual who on that day would come with a mountainous pile of good deeds. He'll have all his salah, his zakah, his fasting, everything else. But what, what would he have done? He would have hurt somebody else. He would have harmed somebody's feelings. He would have stolen from somebody else. And there'll be a line, a queue of claimants against that person who will say, Oh Allah, he cheated me. Oh Allah, he hurt me, he harmed me, he abused me. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, listen, well take then the most precious thing to him. What's the most precious thing? What's the thing of value that you can take from him? He doesn't have any money that he can give to you. And money is certainly not going to help you today. He doesn't have any property to give to you. And property certainly isn't going to help you today. So instead, take what is most precious to him. What he's accumulated 
throughout his time on this planet, on this world, in this world. And that's his good deeds. So slowly each person will come and say, okay, I'll take about five. Okay, he hurt you. How much did he hurt you? Okay, you take 10 of his good deeds. You, well, he harmed you, he abused you. Take 20 of his good deeds. Eventually, the queue is going to start getting smaller. Sorry, the mountainous pile of good deeds is going to start getting smaller, but the queue is going to stay the same. And eventually he's going to have no good deeds left to give. He's going to be completely empty. But the line of claimants are still there. There's still many people. And they're going to say, Ya Allah, what do we do now? He's got no good deeds left to give. Allah will say, okay, well then take some of your bad deeds that you have and add them into his pile, into his account. Get rid of your bad and give them to him. And that will continue to happen until he has nothing left, no good deeds and just a mountainous pile of bad deeds. That's who the Prophet ﷺ described as being muflis on that day. Bankrupt. See, our idea and this conception that we, we have of, of what's successful or what success is, is warped. It's a twisted concept of success that we have. And it's, it's, I see that often among people. That they seem to think that the person who has money is successful. The person who has wealth and property. The person who has a standing among the community is successful automatically. No. Success is that individual who hasn't hurt somebody else. Successful is that person who when you look at, at that individual, you can say, you know what, subhanAllah, I've only seen khair from him. I've only seen good from him. He's only been kind to people. Success, successful is that person that when he dies, not a single person has anything bad or anything negative to say about him. That's a successful person. And the muflis will be those who, when he dies, people will say, well, Allah forgive him. You know, Allah forgive him. Let's not talk about his bad because he's gone now. Let's not be negative about him because he's God now. But Allah forgive him. You don't want to be in that, we don't want to be in that category of people. So it's important that we let this Ramadan be that catalyst for change. And change, like I said, you know, Ramadan is not just about fasting. It's not just about staying away from food and water. The Prophet told us that. There'll be people who will fast and they will get nothing from their fast except hunger and thirst. What does that mean? They'll be among those muflis people. They'll be among those bankrupt people who will fast, who will stay away from food and water, but they won't. They'll continue to hurt and harm other people. They'll continue to cheat. They'll continue to steal. They'll continue to miss their prayers. They're the people, that's what we need to be worried about. That's what's more important than anything else. Not the iftar and what we're going to have. You know, we focus um, our attention to things that have no consequence. So no, there's no significance to them. They should hold no importance in our lives. They should hold no qima, no value. When it comes to Ramadan, we focus on what we're going to eat. You know, what we're going to have for iftar, I'm so hungry. What are we going to have for suhoor in the morning? We need to be prepared. 
Let me ask you a question. I'll just put this to the test, right? How many of you here, put your hands up if you know the exact time for Maghrib? Put your hands up. Be honest. What's the exact? Today's time for Maghrib, or did you know what time it was yesterday? Put your hand up. That's the vast majority of us, right? In Ramadan, everybody knows what time Maghrib is. Everybody knows what time Fajr starts because that's the end of Suhoor. Everybody knows it. Now be honest with yourselves. Outside of the month of Ramadan, how many of us knew the, time, the exact time of Maghrib every single day? How many of us? It's something to think about, isn't it? How many of us knew the exact time for Fajr every single day? We didn't give it any value. We didn't give it any worth. There was no reason for us to know what time Fajr was because we didn't pray it enough. There was no reason for us to know what, exactly what time Maghrib starts because we didn't pray it enough. You see, our priorities with Maghrib and Fajr are suhoor and iftar, not the salahs, not the prayers. If it was about the prayers, then we'll know every single day what time Maghrib and Fajr was to begin. Because we'll be constantly thinking about it. Need to pray my Maghrib. What time is Maghrib? It's at 8.38 today. Or it's at 8.41 today. I know. I'm going to pray it. What time does Fajr begin? I need to make sure I'm up. I need to put my alarms on. But outside of the month of Ramadan, that's not the case. We're focusing more on our suhoor and our iftar than anything else. And this is why I fear that we're among those individuals. Me and you. You and I. We're among those individuals about whom the Prophet sallallahu said they're going to fast and get nothing from their fast except hunger and thirst. And everything would have gone to waste. We'll be among those bankrupt individuals. Listen to this hadith of the Prophet sallallahu There's a hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu he talks about um, uh, uh, the fasting in the month of Ramadan. He wants... The Prophet sallallahu was, was climbing onto his pulpit, his, his, his member. And he was about to give the Friday seminar, the Friday sermon, khutbah. And he climbed up he, on, onto his pulpit and his pulpit had three steps to it. And when he climbed up the first step, and he was on top of the first step, loudly he said, Ameen. Just Ameen. Then he climbs to the second step. And he said the same thing again, Ameen. He climbs to the third step. And this time again, he repeats the same word, Ameen. And the companions naturally were quite confused because this is something that they hadn't witnessed from the Prophet ﷺ before. They've seen him climb many of the steps on many different Jum'ahs. This circumstance hadn't occurred before. So hence they questioned the Prophet ﷺ. Said, Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah, we've never seen you say Ameen every time you climb the pulpit. And this is the first time we've heard you say Ameen on every single step you took. What was the reason for this? And the Prophet ﷺ, he turned to them and he said that when I was climbing the pulpit and I reached the first step, Jibreel السلام, he came to me and he said to me, O Muhammad wasallam, anyone in your nation who manages, who is alive, when Ramadan comes, and yet he cannot get his sins forgiven, may they perish in the fire. Anyone who experiences the month of Ramadan, and he or she is unable 
to find the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may that individual perish because they wasted their Ramadan. And to that dua, I said, Ameen. Then I climbed onto the second step and Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam, he said to me, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasalam, anyone who manages to find Laylatul Qadr, the night of power, which is better for you than a thousand months of worship, and he or she does not manage to get his sins forgiven, may he perish in the fire. And to that dua, I said, Ameen. And when I reached the last step, Jibreel turned to me and said, Oh Muhammad, any one of your ummah who manages to catch his parents, to find his parents throughout his life, or one, one of them or both of them, and they are alive, and they are elderly, and they need his help, and he's not able to service them, he's not able to provide for them, he's not able to take care of them, and get his sins forgiven through them, may that individual perish. And to that I said, Ameen. This is something to think about. This hadith is, is uh, it should really strike home. That here, the Prophet ﷺ said, Ameen to a dua of, of Jibreel ﷺ, regarding those individuals who let their Ramadan go to waste. Those individuals who have got their priorities mixed up. You and I. Our priorities are mixed up. The things that are important, we give them absolutely no importance whatsoever. And the things that are completely unimportant, they, they have the most important role in our, they play the most important role in our lives. Now is the time for, for changing that and getting the priorities right. Prayer, focus on the little things, start small. I need to pray five times a day. Simple. Do I have any excuses to pray? To not pray? No. I have to pray five times a day. During my fast, right now, because I'm fasting and you're fasting, right now I have to ensure that during my fast I stay as calm and collected as I possibly can. That's one of those things about hunger, right? A hungry person is an angry person. Have you heard that before? And it tends to happen that when we're, we're, we're hungry, we tend to get angry. Which means we lash out at people. We talk down to people, we hurt, abuse, harm somebody else. Change that now, because you're wasting your fast. Your fast is meaningless, it's pointless. You know, there's a, there's a hadith in relation to the Kaaba. The Kaaba, the most holiest site in Islam. The direction that we as Muslims pray towards. We see it as so holy and sacred. Well, in fact, it's more sacred than anything else on the planet for us. Yet the Prophet ﷺ described hurting or harming somebody's feelings worse than actually destroying the Kaaba. Imagine that. It's worse for you to hurt or harm somebody's feelings than it is to destroy the Kaaba. Because the Kaaba is four walls. It's a place that can be rebuilt. Right? You can hurt it, and that doesn't hurt Allah. It doesn't affect Allah. Allah is free from being hurt. 
from us. Allah is free from any type of hurt. Allah is free from those feelings and those emotions. So you can destroy the Kaaba, it won't affect Allah. But you hurt another person. Not only are you affecting that individual, but you're affecting that individual's relationship with Allah. You're affecting your own relationship with Allah. So it's imperative that in the month of Ramadan, this, this month of Ramadan, at least, we try to change those habits. You know, people talk about personalities and character. Is, you're not able to change what your personality. You're not able to change your character. No, that's, that's ludicrous. Look at the companions. There were individual, individuals among them who were heartless. They committed such atrocities and such crimes that me and you would be afraid to even speak about. And yet they become, they, after accepting Islam and allowing the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to seep into their hearts, they became the softest of creatures. Remember that companion I told you his story that the Prophet sallallahu he saw this man, his companion, and he was lifting up his clothes and he was looking down and he was walking on his heels without placing his entire foot upon the ground <clears throat> watching exactly where he's stepping just so that he doesn't harm a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala an ant or any other insect might not come underneath his feet and he might kill it constantly afraid this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes those in individuals as They tread the earth lightly. And the Prophet sallallahu called that individual and he told and the companions who were sitting there, he said, tell them your story. Tell them your story. And this man, it seemed like he was frail. And he didn't talk. And when he spoke, his voice was barely able to come out. He, was that, he seemed that shy and that sensitive of a creature. Yet the story he's told, it, it was completely against the character that the companions saw. He said, Ya Rasulullah, during the days of jahiliyyah, during the days of ignorance, when, during that time when people would bury their daughters alive, I was blessed with a daughter. And my wife... As soon as I found out, and, and this is what would happen, as soon as they would find out that they had daughters, they would go and bury their daughters, kill them off. Not something that they desired. And he said, when my wife found out that I, when my, my daughter was born, she clung on to her and she wouldn't let me take her away. She said, I will protect her. I will keep her safe. I will make sure nobody finds out, so nobody's going to say something to you. So I let her be. So long as she kept that daughter of mine hidden, so nobody else would know, so I wouldn't be defaced in front of the community. Eventually, when my child was about six or seven years old, there were murmurings among the community that, you know, that daughter that he had seven years ago, I don't think that brother, he, he hasn't buried that one. She's still alive. So when these murmurings were taking place, and I felt like I was going to be exposed, and people would, would look down upon me because I'd kept my daughter alive. As if that was the worst thing that he could have possibly done, keeping her alive. So he said, I decided to take her. And I said to her, Micho, I said to my wife, this is it. There's no chance. I'm, I'm taking her. There's nothing that you can do to stop me. And she accepted 
the fate. She had nothing that she could do. So I said to my daughter, meet your, your parents. We're going to meet your grandparents in a village further away. So she met her mother, thinking she's going on a journey with her father. And then when I reached a secluded area, I began to, and I saw that there's nobody around me, I began to dig. So as I was digging, and I was, and, and, and the sand and the soil was going over my face and into my bed, my daughter was there cleaning my face while I was digging her grave. So I continued to dig mercilessly, not a feeling in my heart for my daughter, until the hole was big enough for her to be buried in. And then I told her to look in. And then innocently, she obeyed my command and she looked in, I pushed her in. And then I poured the soil and the sand over her while she was looking at me and screaming and saying, what have I done, what have I done? Like any child would do innocently, thinking that it's their fault, maybe I've done something wrong. The Quran says, when the, when the ma'udah, when the, when the buried one will ask, for what sin was she killed? And he's crying, and when he tells the story, the Prophet the companions report that the Prophet's beard is, is wet with tears. Everyone is crying. And that just goes to show that, look, that, that was that individual in the days of Jahiliyyah. No care, no compassion. If this individual had no compassion for his own blood, can you imagine how, what compassion he would have had for somebody else? Absolutely none whatsoever. And yet when he accepts Islam, his entire life has changed, his character and personality changes. He cares about even harming the smallest of insects, smallest of Allah's, Allah's creations. This is what Islam is supposed to do for us. This is, what, this is a change that Ramadan is supposed to bring, that we're supposed to be more sensitive. That we're supposed to think about others. We're supposed to give others preference over ourselves. This is, and this is the spirit of Ramadan. And the spirit of Ramadan we should let reign supreme this year. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give me and you the tawfiq and the ability to act upon the teachings of the Quran and the noble sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhirat da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.